Hi everyone and welcome to All Go First. I'm your host Jessica Minhas. Rashida Winfield is joining us on this episode. She shares her journey from growing up in an immigrant family, working her way towards her dream job, facing burnout, and how she's brought balance to her life. Rashida is hilarious and I think you're really going to like her a lot. Let's get into it. Rashida, dear Rashida, this is such a pleasure to interview you. You're a treat and you also intimidate me, but <laughs> I don't know why. She's a professional and journalist. Okay. <laughs> Rashida Winfield is a producer, casting director, host, and writer. She has worked for Dateline, The Meredith Vieira Show, and NBC Universal, just to name a few. I think I also saw National Geographic when I was looking you up. You have a you have an endorsement from someone at National Geographic, FYI, on your website, by the way. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. We actually met through a peer-to-peer support group that I run called Founders Collective, which is for females who work in social entrepreneurial space because sometimes serving can get exhausting. Mm-hmm. So it's a place to like pour into each other and support each other. So we met about three years ago, I think. Yes, that is correct. It was a lifeline for me. Oh, well, I'm glad it was for me as well. And then I've sort of roped you into collaborating on a few projects. Which has, that's been fun. <laughs> yes. With me. I hope more to come, mm-hmm. as always. Mm-hmm. Dreaming of the day where we become married producer partners. Hey, we're oh. trying to change the world. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? That's true. That's true. We really are. Yeah. And I was thinking about where to start with your story and what always surprises me is your first immigrant your first generation right your mo- your parents are from well my mom is from Jamaica yeah and uh, my dad is Filipino and regular black as we like <laughs> to say in the community <laughs> do you know what that is I didn't know that okay so regular black it's just wow this is funny here we go starting off really great regular black refers to you know, you're like black American. So like from the South, you're not from the Caribbean or from like, you know, an African country. It's your like your your parents or your lineage is from the South. So when okay. someone says regular black, that's what they mean. Wow. Okay. Okay, cool. So so your dad is half regular black and half Filipino. Correct. Are you in touch with your Filipino side? The more you know. I, yes, I am. I am. So my grandmother was Filipino, my dad's mom. Uh, She passed away, but we still, I still have some cousins and a cousin like who's like straight Filipino who, it's just always so funny. Her name is Shopao. Is she here in the States? She is. She's in New York. I think she's in Long Island, like really far east. We need to hang out with you. She's so cool. Have you gone to the Philippines? I have not yet. Do you have family there? Yeah, I mean, they're still, they're oh my God, still Rashida, like we need to cousins. get over there. That yeah. is so cool. And I wonder for you, people wouldn't really guess that when they, when they see you. I, I don't, I'm just faintly recall you saying that, but yeah. Yeah. It all depends on what my hair looks like that day. Interesting. Yeah. If it's like straight and straightened and long and black, sometimes people are like, is there something else going on with you? <laughs> you mixed or something and then that's when sometimes they know but you know right now my hair is in a natural curl style that's true so you may not be able to tell that's true yeah i i can't pick up on it at all whatsoever Mm. no but but so you grew up to immigrants 
Well, up. you grew to, you grew up with mom. immigrant families. Yes, yes, yeah, you ish, could say that. Ish. Yes, yeah, and in Brooklyn. Correct. Technically, yes. So I lived in New York my whole life. I was born in Brooklyn. Then we moved to Queens, and then to another part of Queens, and then we pretty much settled in Long Island. So Long Island is where I was mainly raised. Okay. Okay. Cool. 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 And I think what I'm driving at <laughs> is yes. that. You then went to Fordham University, your double major. Yes. Plus your master's. I wasn't messing around. Overachiever much. And you you're coming from I, I you're coming as a as a black woman from an immigrant family. I think that must have a lot of pressure. Was there a lot of pressure for you? Oh, it's interesting. My mom always said the sky's the limit. Like she literally said that. <laughs> and so she never pressured me. To like, oh, you got to go to college or you got to do this or whatever. But I feel like I modeled her example, if that makes sense. Like she was a nurse and so she was working all the time. Jamaican, um, (laughs) that falls into all sorts of stereotypes. Um, But yeah, she was working all of the time. And I think I just, you know, witnessed that and that became ingrained in me so I didn't know any other way like that work ethic yeah you work hard you take care of your family and that's what you do so I think I just seeped that in I soaked that in like a lemon and I just knew that these opportunities had been afforded to me being in the states right yeah Um, yeah because I've thought about that a lot like why was I or why have I always been so driven it's not like I mean there were times where my mom had to say to me like I remember I was in high school and I wanted a job, just a little retail job. I don't know. Maybe I was a junior when I got my job. And she was like, why are you working? I was like, because I must. And, you know, it was just like this thing of <laughs> yeah. like, I want to be independent. I want to make my own money. I don't want to be asking anyone for anything. I just was always kind of like that. And it it was almost the opposite of what my mom was saying. I think she wanted me to like enjoy being a kid and Go to school and make good grades. That was just always a part of you was to like just drive forward. Just always a part of me. Yeah. Was it like goal setting or was it like an achievement thing? Like what do you, what do you think it was that really? Well, we're about to go real deep real quick. You want me to tell you? Hey, what I mean. Was? I'm like, we. That's what I'll go first is about, you know. <laughs> I'll go first. I'll go head dive. So after years of therapy and really thinking about it, I realized that there was a, a childhood memory of mine where I went to sleepaway camp and at the end of the camp, like the last couple of days, they give away awards and stuff. And so they call your name in front of this big bonfire and everyone gets awarded for something during their time there for the two weeks. And I remember they called my name and they brought me down and they said, Rashida gets the award for always looking in the mirror. And I just remember being like, what? I was so embarrassed I was so it it just destroyed me and what they don't realize is that all right so now I could talk about like my upbringing and my roots so as a black woman <laughs> I could say black woman we are very particular about our hair right <laughs> and so this was my first time going to sleepaway camp my mom always did my hair and so when I was at that camp once my hair got wet yeah. I didn't know how to manage it. So it became this like big afro and here I was like in the pool and and so I was self-conscious. Right, I was always course. looking in the mirror trying to figure out 
what to do with it. And then the boys were like teasing. Now I know it was like, oh, they liked me. But back then you're like, I don't, I didn't understand that. And so I just remember feeling super misunderstood Mm -hmm. and ridiculed. Yeah. And it just destroyed me. And I, and I couldn't speak up for myself to be like, no, but I wasn't always looking in the mirror because I was vain. You know, you're a kid, you don't know. And I just remember feeling so embarrassed. And I think back to that and I feel like I've kind of lived my life having to prove something to people. I'm not what you think I am or I just didn't want to be misunderstood. And so I was like, I'm going to just show people that I'm, you know, this person and they're going to, instead of ridicule me, they're going to respect me. Wow. That moment really got ingrained in you deep. It did because I don't know where else it came from. And, And when I had to go through therapy and stuff and you know they guide you through is there something that happened in childhood and that's something that popped up almost immediately and so I think subconsciously that became my driving force in some way and that was you were how old when that happened oh man I was maybe 10 it's not wild that like stuff that happens when we're that young can kind of influence us so much it's the formative years it's so important that's why I'm so I guess, passionate about like protecting kids and protecting their childhood. I mean, something like that. My situation wasn't like I was abused or anything like that, but it was something that affected me and bothered me to the point where it kind of influenced the trajectory of my life. Yeah, of course. I mean, I definitely have memories. I was growing up in a white community as like a brown kid, and I never met any other brown kids. So I definitely didn't understand who I was. And I remember getting like chased around the playground with pigtails. And I remember this kid was using my pigtails as like a horse, like reins. Oh, no. And, Is that worse? Um, and then people, <laughs> they are. And then people would say that oh, I must be Native American. And I was like, I don't think I am. But like, I'm not sure. I didn't meet Indian people until I moved to New York City. So now having perspective and looking back, I'm like, whoa, like so much of my life was feeling out of place. And then when I did meet Indian people, I also felt out of place there. And I think that's such an interesting narrative as well. It's just hard to, when you're multi-ethnic and biracial or all the racial things, (laughs) biracial, I mean, when you're mixed ethnicity, it can be really hard to find your place. A hundred percent. My dad experienced that a lot. because I bet, yeah. You know, his... The story of my grandparents, my grandfather met my Filipino grandmother during World War II. She was a war bride, like a, wow. a princess war bride. I mean, they. I, I recently found out all the details of that. They secretly got married in the Philippines. They came to the United States. It took them 30 days by water. They got to California. Then from California to New York, it was like a three-day train ride. And she never told her family. She just kind of went off. And so, you know, she came to the land of milk and honey, which was like the projects, the Gowanus projects of Brooklyn. And there was a Filipino black community. And my dad has shared about, and he's written pieces about this and we've talked about it so I can share this, but he has said that it was really difficult for him. He was never accepted by the blacks, right? For black people, he wasn't black enough. And then white people still looked at him as a minority, right? Because he's brown. He said that he was only accepted by Latinos. Yeah, that's interesting. But, I mean, if you look at pictures of him when he was young, he did. He, he could pass for Latino, right? But um, he said that it really affected him. 
Yeah, that and makes so much sense, and especially that generation. I think exactly. we're starting to be more open 100%. to it now. But it was hard for him. It yeah. was very hard for him. So I want to jump back to like sort of your story of how this influence, that narrative is so powerful of wanting to show who you are from when you were a kid. Something that you're really passionate about is changing the narrative around the entertainment industry. And you've been in the business now for like 15 years. That's about right. Yeah. yeah. And you started out at the NBC Universal Page program. Technically. Yeah, that was my first TV, like my first TV job. Yes. And what was that experience like as as like a black woman? You know, it's so interesting. I never felt my race, if that makes sense. Yeah. I I just remember I I had been working in radio prior to that in public radio. And I was a news reporter and producer. Oh. I worked for WNYC for a little bit, uh, Brian Lair show, yes. But I wasn't on air like you. <laughs> well, you could be. No. No, when I do this voice, I don't know who I'm trying to be. So I had worked in radio and I didn't know, but my heart, my goal, my desire was always to work in TV and I didn't know anyone. And so I literally went to NBC.com and I uploaded my resume and it was my mom who encouraged me to do it because she remembers from when I was like four years old watching TV in our Brooklyn apartment and I would have my stuffed toys lined up on the couch with me and I'd be like, isn't this funny? Like she said, I used to host them like this, this like TV watch party. So all, <laughs> all oh my that. God, you're hosting TV. I mean, wow. <laughs> TV watch parties. I mean, that's essentially what it that's was. Phenomenal. And so that being said, she knew that I loved television and she said, just, just try it. Just go for it. And I remember I think my hesitation was because I felt like I had been a producer already and I felt so old because usually those who enter, well, that's not true, but I thought that those who entered the PAGE program, you were right out of college, like 21, 22. At this point, I was a few years out of college. Like I said, I've been working radio. And so I thought that I was too advanced or that I was, you know, because I knew that as part of the PAGE program, the default thing that you do is you give tours. So you're not going to go straight into you know, working in the industry, you have yeah. to do the the grunt work, which is memorize all of the history and facts about NBC Universal and 30 Rockefeller Plaza. And then you have to deal with tourists. That sounds terrible. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. Because at this point, I had my own apartment. I was living in the Bronx. And I was, you know, independently. And, and you're was, 22? Yeah, 20, no, I was like 24, 25. So I was thinking, but I'm that's too, a big deal. You got your own apartment, 25. Well, yes. Like, right? Making my own money. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm saying. So for me, I was like, I don't know. And I knew that if I did the page program, I would have to go live back home because it would be a, a cut in salary. But my mom was like, you can move back. It's okay. And, da, 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 da. and I was like, okay. And I just, I remember I applied online and then- I just forgot about it. And then months later, I got a phone call. And it was like 212. And then there's like certain digits that always mean the NBC Rockefeller Plaza building is calling you. And I just remember like, who is this? It was like repeated digits. And I picked it up. And I guess you could say the rest was history. They said, you know, we got your resume, page program, come in. And that interview process was, oh, lordy, lord. <laughs> What? <laughs> Do you want me to tell you? <laughs> well, I'm interested in like, because it sounds like it was kind of the runaround. And here you are, this like young, 
young person, you have gone back home. How did you hold your sense of identity in that process? Because everything kind of shifted around you. Hmm, that's a good question. I I don't know. I was just so motivated and driven. And I think a lot back to how I was those days and then what I turned into eventually. But I <laughs> I was just I just believed that I was gonna make it. Even though I had hesitation, I was just like, this is what You're I gotta do. Focused. I was focused. So I I was like, if it's not gonna be the TV route within, you know, if I don't get into NBC, then I will continue building my career in radio. And I just knew something was gonna pop. Like you couldn't tell me otherwise. So I wasn't wow, phased. I respect that a lot. I admire that. Yeah. I wish I could bottle that and then you can make keep a lot it of as money. a potion and then also give it to our listeners. I think we could all use that, put it on a shelf so I can have some later down the line when I'm feeling insecure. Make a lot of money with that. Bottle it, bottle it and sell it. But yeah, so I just never... You never doubted yourself. I never you just did went it. For it. I never doubted. And the page program is a year. So then you find yourself working in TV. And something we've talked a lot about, just you and I, is just how much you work in TV. Yes. <laughs> yeah. When you and I met, I remember we met on at your apartment on the Upper East Side once. I intruded your apartment. I don't even know if that's how you say it. But I just took ownership of your apartment and started cleaning things out. And you had mentioned that you actually, in that entire time that you had that apartment, you hadn't even really been at that apartment because you were working that whole time. Yeah. It was just like a place to rest my head. When you got to do that. If I got to rest my head. Yeah. I mean, I will say this. Working in the television industry is not for the faint of heart. Yeah. So it's like you accomplished your dream. You got it. You got the job. People are hungry after you. I know you're like, people wanted to work with you. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing my thing. I was climbing, climbing the ladder. And I knew I had worked in news. And then I, I think after a while, I said, I want to do something more lighthearted. I want to do, still want to work in TV, but I just, I was, I was ready to step away from crime news investigations and things like that. And so I, I made the shift towards entertainment and the talk show realm. And uh, that is when everything changed drastically. <laughs> but to be honest, I mean, even when I was working in news, it was still intense because news doesn't stop. That's true. Right. Yeah. It's 24 seven. So. And you're exposing yourself to a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. my job was to one of the responsibilities I had was to meet with families, relatives of people who lost their relatives. And so that sounds so Yeah, hard. and then I'd have to be like, let's do this shoot. I need you to look through the window and look pensively through the window. Yeah. And for someone like me who's very sensitive wow. and I, I I do call myself a crier. I just was like, I don't know if I could do this news thing. I'm not because you know you want to be professional. You have to yeah, be objective. You can't be crying in these people's homes. <laughs> you got the apartment, you got the job, you have the title. What did it feel like when, like, you made it? I mean, from the outside, you made it. You know, I feel like it was short-lived. I remember the first show that I did uh, or, you know, segment, 
And it was with Jennifer Lopez. And I remember I had helped produce it. And I just remember feeling on top of the world. Yeah, and totally. that, I would feel that way too. Yeah, and it was that moment where I was like, all the hard work, all the internships. And I just remember being like, yeah, I remember like high-fiving the executive producer of the show and just being like, yeah, like we were in the hallway, literally high-fiving. And I just remember thinking like, yes, you did this. <laughs> <laughs> you are woman here. You are like, I just remember feeling that was so amazing. And then it just, it was really short-lived. <laughs> and after a while, I realized that I could not sustain the lifestyle that I had created because it took everything from me in terms of I was there 24 I mean, it felt like 24-7. I would go to bed. I, I would get home from a full day at maybe 11, 12. And then the next morning, I'd have to be there by 6. And it's, it's different to be wow. in a physical place. But, like, to actually have to be on and awake is a whole nother level. Like, you could just drag yourself in if you had, like, another job and you're, like, I don't know, answering phones or something. You could probably just get away with it. But, like, I had to be awake. So how long were these, like, five hours? I mean, if that, you're getting, like, four and a half hours of sleep. I mean, I would say I think for a good two years it was it was that kind of schedule. But there was a real intense 11 month period that it was it was like that and that's all I did when did you realize wow this isn't I don't know if I can do this I think it was along the way I you know it, it was just it just became a toxic environment and everyone was miserable right so my colleagues were miserable a moment changed when one of my colleagues was in the bathroom like breaking down crying I think we were like functioning off of three or four hours of sleep and wow and you just, you can only, your body can only take so much. And I remember having to console her in the bathroom and just being like, you can do this. We can do this. And it's like, nobody sees that side. Nobody like sees that. And I think, you know, that was like one of the moments I had seen, you know, at the time, a senior producer who was like breaking down, crying at her, at her desk because she couldn't like go to her kids, something or another her kids party. And I just remember thinking, or something for her child. Right. And I just remember thinking, I don't know if I can do this forever. And if I want to do it for that long. Were you like surprised that you were having this thought? Yeah, absolutely. Because when you work your whole life and you have this entire goal and then all of a sudden you're yeah. you're like questioning like what is going on? I don't know if I can do this. Because I always hear people, you know, we hear successful people talk about like, oh, when I reach that goal, I realize like that I shouldn't be pursuing that. And I think, you know, speaking for myself, and I don't know if anyone else out there listening can can relate to this. But I think for me, again, in particular, like with a history of trauma, it's like, oh, if I just achieve this thing, then X, Y, Z, then it'll be better. And so when I hear people talk about like, oh, once you achieve it, it's not that all that it's cracked up to be. It's like, well, from that perspective, it's like, yeah, well, you can speak from that because you've already been there and you've already accomplished it. But I'm trying to do the thing where it's like, go after your dreams, go after your goals. How on earth do you find balance with all of that? I, I, I don't know. I, and I look back and I, I said, I wish I had a mentor. Yeah. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have anyone to guide me to even just hold my hand and be like, this is normal. This is a part of the industry. I honestly feel like, and I've thought about this, I honestly feel like if someone would have given me the real deal before I started, I don't know if I would have. What is the real deal? The real For deal. entertainment. This is entertainment industry. It's going to be long hours. It's going to be 
sometimes shady practices. There's a lot of ego involved. And so I think people tie their identity to their work. And so if you are not producing in work and you're not doing well, then somehow you think you suck as a person. (laughs) Yeah, that totally makes sense. And there's just a lot of that shady practices a lot of times. And again, this isn't for everyone. I'm not saying that's the case for everyone, but that is some of what I noticed. And I wonder if someone would have told me, like, it's going to be hard, like this is if I would have pursued it. I don't know. I have very much wondered about it, but I probably would have. I probably would have been like, you know what? I got to give this a try and see what happens. But it would have been wonderful to have a mentor who could be like along the way, say, this is normal, but you can get through it. Do this to adjust or take a break. Ooh, taking a break. Mm, That's so hard. That's so hard. That's hard because I've thought about it too. When I was a page, you worked a lot, right? It's like it it says it on the NBC website, expect to work six days a week. So it's not like I'm making that up. They're not making, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a part of the grind. And then sometimes depending on what assignment or whatever you're doing, you may be working seven days a week or whatever. But Look, it was exciting. That's why I was like, I don't know if I if I would have said no anyway, because it was exciting. It was exhilarating. You're in that building. I remember the first time I walked in, I bumped into Conan O'Brien. This was when He's he tall, was there. He's tall, isn't he? Man is gigantic. <laughs> You know, he was just like, you know how he has that like head thing and just bobbing his head. He's like, yeah, he's like six five. Yeah, at least, I, I think. literally walked into him and I was like, oh, sorry. And I, and I was like, this is a good omen. Like that was when I was interviewing for the page program. I can totally relate to those pinnacle moments where you're like, oh, my gosh, this is the top of the mountain for the first peak. And right. now I see this other peak and I'm going to go to that. And it, I know that I've really struggled with trying to decouple my identity from work with myself that has been a real hard hard journey and having to take a break away from work and building my own company when I got sick that I mean I don't even think I really could tease apart my work and that drive until like I had I had no other choice it's not even like I made the conscious choice I think it's just like I just wasn't functioning in a way that was like fulfilling I was creating the self-fulfilling prophecy of defeat how did you sort out identity like after work do you just couldn't do it anymore yeah I experienced what burnout is after working that kind of schedule for so long my body was like I can't do this anymore (laughs) and I remember having a panic attack wow like a legit panic attack at one point when I was still working and It was just the pressure. It was like around the holidays, but I still had to work. And I had, by the time we came back from the holidays, I had to produce something. And I just remember thinking like, everyone is away on vacation or not vacation, but on the holiday. And I couldn't get people. And I just, I remember I like broke down. I was with my family, mom and dad. And I just remember I broke down right in front of them because I had my work all on the, the table. Like it was just so crazy. And I like ran to the bathroom and I just was having this panic attack and it was very dramatic my mom was this is scary yeah i didn't know what was happening yeah because i couldn't breathe right but then at the same time i felt like vomiting (laughs) yeah and so i ran to (laughs) i've had them before that's why i shouldn't be chuckling but (laughs) yeah it's crazy oh it was like you're dying yeah and i just remember it also felt like my heart was about to stop 
Yeah. And so I went to the bathroom because I was like heaving and then my mom followed me. It was, I mean, it was super dramatic and she put her hand on me and she was like praying and like, Lord, help my daughter. And yeah. So that is one of those moments where I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. And so I listened to my body and I feel like I just, I took the leap to, to walk away from that kind of schedule. And it was, what did that mean for you? It was quitting or yeah, I left. I I walked away and I was like, I want to start my own thing. Yeah. And I didn't know what my own thing was. I I think that's like so much bravery to like, yeah. But you know what? I feel like I, I mean, yeah, I did think a lot about it. It was, it was probably one of the hardest things I ever could have done was to decide to leave what I had worked so hard for. But I also knew I could not sustain this. And I really felt like I was going to die if I continued with that schedule and just that nonstop. But it was hard. It was hard doing that. Uh, And I cry. It was, it was emotional because it was almost like, the death of a dream. I was just going to say that. It's like you're having to mourn this thing. It was it was a mourning period, but at the same time, I had peace in going that direction. What did that feel like for you to have peace? Mm, it was everything because I hadn't had peace in, in years. I so feel like, like yeah. I had just been kind of going with emotions and it's just like, this is what you work for. You got to keep going. You can't stop, you know, and I, I just needed to change. And if I didn't, I was going to get sick. And, you know, after I did leave, I ended up getting super sick. I had issues all over my body. I won't even get into it, but I had all sorts of issues. And then I was dealing with just anxiety because it was this drastic change. And, you know, I still second guessed it. There were moments where it was like, did I do the right thing? Yeah. And so I think I battled with anxiety about that. And I just was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and quite honestly, I was ready to walk away from television. I didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. I was like, nah, we're not doing this. So when I, when I left, I was like, you know what? Cause when I was in college, I had also studied marketing and like PR. And I was like, maybe I'll just go down that path. And a lot of people who work in the business, like journalism and TV, that is all, that is often a pivot that they do. So it was just like, let me regroup. Let me rethink about what I want to do and dream again. And, but I needed to give my, myself that time and space. Was it hard as a overachiever to give yourself permission to wander? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I was so burnt out that I think I also just didn't have a choice. Does that make sense? Like I just was like, I need to do this or else I'm going to die. Yeah. Like I know that sounds super dramatic, but I was like, if I don't do this, what what is going to happen? And, and I just needed to stop. But yeah, I had my moments of anxiety and then like, am I doing the right thing? And da da da. but my, I had to listen to my body. That's amazing that you had the wherewithal to do that. Something we talked about Recently, you and I together, you know, you're in this position now where I loved what you said. You you talked about how you get to really help people's dreams come true as a casting director. And I think that's so beautiful and that you really approach the entertainment industry as an opportunity to, to really love on people and help them create their vision and f- achieve their dreams. And 
you had mentioned like there's this amazing quote. Wait, I gotta find it. <laughs> it when with, with regards to pursuing your dreams, no one ever talks about chilling, just resting. It's not balanced because you can't have that, but you can have rhythms of rest instead. And that you really had no chill, as you said, when it came to pursuing your dreams. Like, what would you say to someone? Because you are sitting across from me as someone who has accomplished all the stuff that they set out for. And now you're in this amazing time of transition. You've given yourself that permission, which I think is truly incredible. And I think really hard for a lot of people, especially me. And I will say also, again, for people who are listening, maybe that overachiever part, that driven part is what got us out of our trauma. And so it's really hard to let go of that. And so I'm just wondering how, give us some advice. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what I found it's, it's those who you surround yourself with. It's your tribe. Like you need that. Yeah. Right. And that's how you and I met. Right. Yeah. Like I needed that support. I needed to be around other people and particularly women who were like, this is hard. Yeah. And how can we support one another? Because this, this dream chasing stuff is hard and, Chasing your dreams shouldn't mean running yourself into the ground. And how can we support one another? And and that's why I'm such a big advocate of mentorship. Because like I said, I if if I had had a mentor, maybe, maybe I would have still been doing it because I would have been encouraged and maybe I would have had some, you know, given been given some pointers. I, I don't know. But sometimes you just have to listen to your body as well. So I would say it's your tribe, your people, it's so important to surround yourself with like-minded individuals who are trying to do their best and achieve their dreams, but also are just real and open and and, and honest about this isn't easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> this is really hard. We can't, we're not created to do life alone. We're just not. And so I think for me, that's a big thing. And then also just knowing and learning to just stop. And that oh, man. is still something. You say yeah, and it's still something that I struggle with. If yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah, like. Yeah, for sure. Me too. You know, I don't have all the answers. Like, this is how you do it, Jess. No, it's still hard. But, you know, I think for me, Sundays, that has literally become my Sabbath day where I'm like, you know what? I'm just like I bake cookies. <laughs> like walk us through tangibly what yeah. Sunday looks like. How can we create sure. a Sabbath or a day of rest for us? Something else you said to me was about just our attachment to digital technology. Oh, yes. Yeah. So like what, what time do you wake up? Like how do you turn everything off? Just tell us yeah. how to have this Sabbath. So I it's interesting from for the work I do as a casting director, yes, I have to be on social media, but I don't post anymore. If anyone <laughs> I saw that, actually. I don't post anything. I literally use it as a tool for work so that I can find people on Instagram, influencers, et cetera. That has been an intentional decision of mine. And I think that has contributed to some of the peace that I maintain. Yeah, Because when you're on social media, you're just scrolling and it becomes this, this like almost automatic thing. And I realized whenever I was working, I would just... Every couple of minutes, I would go to like Facebook.com. Like I'd be on my desktop and I'd go to Facebook.com to just scroll. And I'm like, this is wild. So I just, I I did a detox. I did a social media fast, if you will. Walk us through what your day of rest looks like and then how you approach your week, given that you are someone who is pivoting right now, is rebuilding their career in this different fashion. 
how do you just like mentally and physically prepare yourself? Yeah. So Sundays are big for me. Sundays are big for me. I start my Sunday. I go to church. I need that. That That is a way in which I recharge myself. And then usually after church, I will go grocery shopping. It sounds so simple and so mundane, but there's something a little therapeutic just about just about walking down the aisles. <laughs> My God, I get overwhelmed at the grocery store. <laughs> depends on which grocery store, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then when I get home, I will usually cook something for the week. Okay, right? so you pre-plan all your... I prep. I meal prep as much as I can. Yeah. Even if it's a something as something as small as like cutting my onions up because I know that I'm going to have tuna at some point during the week and cutting the onion takes the most time. So if my onions are pre-cut, I can just open the can of tuna, add some mayo. You know what I mean? Just Yeah, simplify. Simplify it. And then for me, I've been baking these like gluten-free cookies, you know, just little things that I just discovered because I just made the time to even step away from social media. We don't realize how much time we waste. So true. It's like, so true. And so, like I said, I still, I'm not even on Instagram like that. And again, if if Instagram is your thing and you're an influencer and you're building it, more power to you. But you need to give yeah. yourself a break. So whatever it looks like, if it's a few hours, maybe it's one day a week, just figure out what works for you and I just stick to it. And it's going to take, you know, trial and error and it's going to feel like like you're having to wean yourself oh, man, it's from so it. True. Like it's addictive. It's so true. It's something that you're really passionate about as we wrap up is really encouraging the next generation of young people, particularly in entertainment, right? What would you say to, you know, some per- young person out there who's listening in not even in entertainment, but like how can they approach and build good habits and good perspectives as they move into their careers or pursue their dreams? Right. Well, I'm really passionate about making sure the next generation just knows who they are. And and what I mean by that is it's great to have goals and ambition, but don't let your work be your end all be all. Yeah. And I think you need someone who can come alongside you. You need a mentor. And I, I can't stress that enough to just be like, you're, you're, you're doing okay. Give yourself some grace. It's going to be okay. You're going to make it. And it's okay to take a, a break and, and slow that down. Permission to take a break is so Give huge. Give yourself permission to take a break because I'm a big believer in whatever is for you is for you. And it's going to find you and even the work that I that I do as a casting director, I never thought that I would be doing this. It just kind of found me. I, I had this natural knack for just finding people for the segments, and I loved the interaction. And so when I left the network, I just didn't know what to do. And then, I don't know, just an opportunity came about to find people <laughs> for a show And I was really good at it. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I've always been really good at it. And that's what I'm doing now. So things have a way of working themselves out. And whatever is for you is for you. And then I would also say there's something to be said about just having integrity. There's a lot of shadiness in this business. But I have found that kindness always wins over. And a lot of times, like, the work in and of itself is already hard. There's no denying that. And if you can work with people who are kind, 
that just makes the work bearable. Does that make sense? Totally. And so I just, I'm really, I just want people to just know that kindness wins over. You don't have to backstab people and, and try to, you know, comp- I never competed. I never did. I always felt like there was room at the top for all of us. I was always on my own path. And yeah, even like when I think about the page program, I remember people were like, it's so competitive and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, and I was I like, yeah. I was like, okay, all right. So I'm going to apply. And if it, if it happens, it happens. Like, you know, so I think kindness just, it just goes a long way. And just give your, yourself permission to just chill. Because look, if you aren't healthy and if your body isn't functioning, you're not going to be able to achieve your goals. Like you're not going to be alive and around <laughs> to experience that. Yeah. I mean, it yeah, sounds so, true. <laughs> so simple. Right. <laughs> but you, you run in yourself into the ground and then you're just like sick. And yeah, 100%. Think, think, think about it and, you know, find it's going to take it's trial and error. But you, you, you have to find what that is. Find that rhythm for you. So whether it's a Sunday or whether it's like you wake up an hour earlier in the morning to just meditate, pray, find it. It is going to sustain you. Like you, you need that, especially in a place like New York. Yeah, Everything is so like true. <laughs> nonstop. You have to be centered. Yeah, that is so true. And and I, I, what I hear you saying too is about, which I think is something unique that I, I don't often hear or maybe haven't heard. It's just this um, giving yourself permission to play and wander. That's good. Yeah. I think, you can explore, you can figure out what you like, what you don't like. Play is such an important part, especially if you are a creative person. I've been exploring some writing and it's been therapeutic for me. It's just been therapeutic. Be a kid. Be a, be a kid oh, again. Take it back to being a kid. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, take it back to being a kid and looking in the mirror and being okay with that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I wish we had more time. This is so lovely. Thank you so much for joining for joining us and sharing your wisdom with the Algo First community. I really appreciate it. We really appreciate you. Thanks for having me. I'm Jessica Minhas, and thanks for joining us on Algo First. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our mission is to uplift and support you in your journey of healing. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, comment, and share. And if there's a topic you'd like us to dive deeper into or would like to share your story with us, we are available on all major platforms at Algo First and www.algofirst.com. We'll see you next time.